Welcome to the Gospel Saves podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. I'm Wade Stanley, an evangelist with the Church of Christ. Please visit thegospelsaves.me for blogs, videos, and Bible studies. You can also find The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome back to a study of the Sermon on the Mount. This series was originally recorded from my weekly radio broadcast a few years ago. Having laid his foundation with the eight Beatitudes, Jesus stresses the impact Christian character has on the world. Sometimes righteousness provokes a negative response, leading to persecution, trials, and trouble. But righteousness can be an influence for good, insofar as it slows down the decay of the world and serves as a beacon to those groping in the dark. And so Jesus calls his followers to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to inspire those around us to seek the narrow path which leads to eternal life. We've just spent the past couple of weeks talking about the Beatitudes, these character qualities that we are all to possess, and with those character qualities are attached a promise. Last week we concluded with the promise, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what I find interesting about this list is Jesus has been talking about things that we ourselves are to graft into our character. But in verse number 10, we see how the world often reacts to those character qualities. That as they look at a people who are poor in spirit, who are merciful, who are peacemakers, there is a reaction that comes from the world. And what is that reaction? Well, it's, it's hatred. And so Jesus says, if they persecute you, if they accuse you of doing things falsely for his name's sake, this is not an occasion for sadness. Rather, this is an affirmation that we are living the right way, that we're just like the prophets who suffered before us. And so we should not be surprised that the world reacts this way. And it's with this in mind that he then transitions in verse 13 to talking about how we are the salt and the light. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. There's a lot of different ways that we could interpret this particular verse, but I've arrived at a, a conclusion as to what Jesus means by salt that, that I think fits within the general tenor of his teachings. One of the primary uses for salt is as a preservative, that salt will kill bacteria, and of course bacteria is what uh, spoils food. We've often heard of people salting meat and being able to keep that meat for a long period of time because the salt would slow down the process of decay. And this is what I think Jesus means when he talks about salt in this passage, that salt, when it is effective, slows down the decay of the world. When you have people who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when you have them sprinkled all throughout the earth, this will help 
slow down the decay of the world. But if we don't possess those qualities, if we don't have that poverty of spirit, if we don't have that hunger, if we lack mercy, then we've lost our flavor and we're really good for nothing. So these qualities, they not only provoke a response on the part of the world that the world hates us, the world persecutes the Christian, the world speaks evil of the Christian, but by the same token, these things also help slow down the decay of the world around us. We know where the world is heading. God has set in place corruption and decay so that people might realize that this isn't the best that we have. That there is something better, something greater that awaits all of us if we will just look beyond the confines of this physical realm. But the Christian is here to slow down that decay, to slow down that corruption so that man will have time to repent. In verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. A few years ago, I read a very interesting article written by a journalist who was visiting North Korea for the first time. As I think you probably are aware, North Korea is one of the most repressive regimes in the entire world. It's a communist state ruled by a totalitarian government. The people there are not free. They are told how to think. They are told how to act. Every bit of their lives is closely monitored and controlled by that central government. It is not a very pleasant place. As that journalist was flying in to Seoul, South Korea, which sits, I think, some 30 miles south of the demilitarized zone, as he's flying into Seoul, he couldn't help but notice off to the left of the plane this beautiful, vibrant, well-lit city. Seoul, South Korea is one of the fastest-growing cities in the world. South Korea has one of the fastest-growing economies in the world. It's a modern city. Here's this democratic capital that has all the trappings of Western civilization. There's light. There's life. And then he looked off to the right, and he couldn't help but notice the sea of blackness that stretched out before his eyes for mile upon mile upon mile. And he talked about the comparison between the light and the darkness, and how here in Seoul, South Korea, there was light, there was freedom, where up north there was blackness and darkness. You see, that's the sort of contrast that the Christian, that the church is supposed to draw with the world. We are like a city that is set on a hill. If you've got a city that is high up on a hill at night, when it's lit, you can see it for mile upon mile upon mile. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. A light that cannot be ignored, a light that cannot be overlooked, it is seen and noticed by men. He says in verse 15, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. We put our lights up high. We hang them from our ceilings. Why? So that they will drive the darkness out of every corner of the room. We don't put our lights underneath a basket. 
Not if we want them to work effectively. No. We hang them up high so that people can see them. They are drawn to the light. And so Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The light in this particular case are the good works that fill the life of the Christian. Those good deeds, those neighborly deeds that we do for others, those acts of service, those sacrifices that we make. And also that would include the qualities that we were talking about back at the beginning of the chapter. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. When you have a Christian life that is shining these sorts of things around to a community, it's going to have an effect. Yes, sometimes it brings about anger or jealousy or spite. Certainly it can have that effect. But it also can do a great deal of good. It can provoke people to, to praise God. You know, I remember one time I was in a nursing home with an older couple who visited on a weekly basis. And one of the things that this particular couple did was every time they visited someone, they would sing a couple of gospel songs. A lot of times they would sing, uh, In the Garden, I Come to the Garden Alone While the Dew is Still on the Roses. That's a, a song that a lot of older people really cherish. It takes them back to their childhood. It reminds them of, of good times. And I remember sitting in that room as they were singing to this resident, and I just happened to be situated so I could see out the door. And as they're singing, people are passing by, and I see a lot of smiles, a lot of smiles on the faces of those who pass by. Here's a good work that's being done. And as a result of that good work, people are encouraged God is being thanked. God is being praised. That's what it means to let your light so shine before men. I think we do need to be careful that we don't do good things in order to advance our reputation, in order to be noticed by men. Later on in chapter number 6, Jesus is going to talk about this very thing that we should be careful in, in our giving. We should be careful in our praying. We should be careful in our fasting that we're not doing these things in order to draw attention to ourselves. But by the same token, I do believe that the Christian life well lived, the Christian life that truly is a light to those around, has an effect. And if our desire, if our motivation is that through what I'm doing, God can be praised, if that is truly our drive, then my friends... This is in keeping with what Jesus teaches. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now this does not mean that people will praise these good works in this life. As we notice in 2 Peter chapter 2, there is a day coming when the good works that people of God perform in this world will be recognized by others. I do believe that even in this world, if, if these things are overlooked, if in this world these things are 
not esteemed very highly, that there is coming a day when God will be praised for these good things. As we go on to the 17th verse, Jesus is beginning another transition point. As I think about the, the main emphasis of the Sermon on the Mount, I think in verses 17 through 20, Jesus really lays out his purpose. And his purpose ultimately is that our righteousness would exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I think that's why he's been talking about the Beatitudes earlier on. I think that's why he's been talking about salt and light in verses 13 through 16. And I think that that's why he's going to talk about all these various things that people have been taught down through the years. And of course, in this particular time period, he's talking with people who have been taught the old law and taught it by scribes and Pharisees. Jesus' whole purpose, though, is to urge us toward a greater righteousness, a righteousness that goes beyond the outward appearance of religiosity, a righteousness that is concerned with internal motivations, a righteousness that goes beyond simply rule-keeping. While keeping the law of God is, of course, very important, what Jesus is truly after is a change of heart, a change of mind. And if these can be transformed, then our righteousness can indeed be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will. Oh,